Well, good morning. It is uh, so good seeing all of you guys. Welcome to Forest Park. If you have your Bibles, let's, let's go ahead and turn to Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 5. And, and let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us and to reveal to us marvelous things uh, in His Word. Lord, thank you uh, so much for today. Thank you for your incredible mercy and grace that you have lavished upon us. Thank you for your faithfulness and promising a seed. He will destroy our enemy and certainly you are faithful in keeping that promise because we know that promised seed to be Jesus who has destroyed our enemy once and for all. And that is our hope, Lord. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, can you um, reveal truth to us? Can you stir our hearts and our affections for you? Can you help us uh, to walk away from this text and all of you as we see how great you are? Can you convict us of our sins? And can you help us to respond in faith as we're trusting in you? Can you help us to approach this text in humility? Can you speak to us, Lord? And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we get to chapter 5, we kind of get to our second genealogy because our first genealogy um, was a little bit in chapter 4. And so I know uh, for all of you, genealogies are probably like your favorite part of the Bible. Um, that is the part that you just want to eat up and you're just overwhelmed and amazed um, by it. Or is that normally the part where we kind of quit the Bible reading plan and just go to easier parts, right? Let, let's just be honest. Uh, so, so before we get into the genealogy, let's do a little recap to kind of uh, look at the events that led up to this genealogy. And so last week, uh, Jared preached a wonderful message where we kind of saw the, the consequences of sin begins to take deeper root and breeding destruction and death. And so as Eve gave birth to, to Cain and Abel, uh, she's praising God for his help and for his mercy, hoping and trusting that one of her boys would be the promised seed that would deliver them from their enemy and crush the head of of the serpent and unfortunately it would appear that the enemy had prevailed for sin was crouching at Cain's door and instead of resisting it what did he do he believed the lie of it and it took a hold of him and it led him down a path of destruction and death and he became the first man that was ever cursed and we really see the consequences of Cain and his curse that led to more wicked descendants and so you go through four generations and we come in chapter four uh, to in chapter four to Lamech. And what do we read about Lamech? Lamech had two wives. Now we're introduced to sexual immorality. Now we're introduced to adultery and to lust. And then on top of that, he boasts about killing a man. That introduces to us vengeance, pride, and hate. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 4, that Abel is dead, so he can't be the promised seed. Cain has disqualified himself, and he cannot be the promised seed. And it seems like all hope is lost. Like, where will this promised seed come from? And then we read, if you look at verse, chapter 4, verse 25, we read this. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. 
In other words, all of a sudden she's praising God for His goodness, for His provision. And now this hope of a promised seed came again through the line of Seth. And then what we read about Seth is Seth has a son named Enosh. Which means now this promised seed might continue. And look at what the lineage of Seth and Enosh did. Look at um, verse 26. At the end of verse 26 it says, And at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, not all people, but rather the lineage of Seth. The lineage of Enosh. So now we start to see this hope of the promise seed continues. And what is the indicator of this hope continuing? What are these people doing? They're calling upon the name of the Lord. And if you really look at these verses in chapter 4, we really see kind of like this contrast between the lineage of Cain and the contrast between the lineage of Seth. Okay? Think about the lineage of Cain. Cain is cursed. And his lineage produces wicked descendants. We come to Lamech. And and what is Lamech known for? Having multiple wives. Killing people. and And then kind of warning people, anybody who tries to harm me, if I can kill a man for looking at me wrongly, if you try to harm me, you will be cursed, not seven times like my great, great, great grandfather Cain, but 77 times. And really what we see from this lineage, the only thing it produces is wickedness. But then look at the other side of the lineage. Look at Seth and his son's descendants. What are they known for? Calling upon the name of the Lord. Which means Genesis 4 now ends with this newfound hope of the seed who would come that God has promised that will come from the woman and defeat our enemy. And this is now where we get to chapter 5. And the author, really what what the author is showing us is where this lineage is coming, this righteous lineage that is going to produce the promised seed. But the problem is, as we read chapter 5, what we're continuing going to see is the the, uh, death. We're going to continue to see the effects of sin that leads to death, and yet we're going to continue to see God's faithfulness in producing an offspring that leads to the promised seed. So we're going to read about this lineage and we're going to see that this lineage follows Seth all the way to Noah. That's 10 generations. So let's look at chapter 5 verses 1 to 2 and then we'll read through the genealogy but we're going to do some responsive reading. We're going to make it a little bit of fun because everybody loves genealogies, right? So let's make it fun. Okay, let's look at... uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. It says this. This is the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female. And when they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. So two observations I want us to make. The very first sentence, it says, this is the document that contains the family records of Adam. So in other words, we know that who wrote the book of Genesis was Moses. But Moses didn't just sit down and look up into the distance and just started writing stuff down. But rather, Moses collected documentation. He wrote a research paper. And here's evidence of his, a little bit of his research papers. He came up with this genealogy. But where did he get the evidence of this genealogy? There was documentation. 
of Adam and his lineage and all of his descendants. And he's taking this documentation and he's compiling it together in this genealogy in chapter 5. And then he's organizing this genealogy in such a way to communicate to us a certain theme and certain things for us to learn. That's the first observation. The second observation I want us to make is this. Notice the first part, uh, second part of verse 1 and verse 2. It says, On that day God created them a man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When he created them, he blessed them and called them mankind. Now, doesn't that, that verse kind of sound familiar? Like, where did we read those verses? Chapter 1. And then reiterate it in, in, in chapter 2. Why, why is he repeating this? Because here's what happened. We read about those, those things. God created man in his image and his likeness. He created man, male and female. And then he blessed them through procreation. And he told them to rule over his creation. And all of those things happened before sin entered into the world. Now we're thinking to ourselves, if sin has entered into the world and if sin has taken over God's creation and in taken his good and beautiful creation and in a sense have distorted it, what would the impact be of sin when it comes to man bearing his image and being made in his likeness and being made male and female and continue with the blessing of procreation? Will that be impacted? And in a sense, by us reading those verses again, what's the author telling us? Yes and no. In other words, like, like in a sense, like yes, we're image bearers and we're made in the likeness, but sin has distorted that. Yes, we're made male and female, but sin is going to distort that. Yes, we still receive the blessing of procreation, but sin is going to distort that. So in other words, what he is saying is, even though sin has entered into the world and has affected every part and distorted God's beautiful creation, the divine image and the blessing continues and is passed from generation to generation. So despite sin, is man still made in the image and likeness of God? Yes, despite sin, is man still made male and female? Yes, despite, we have to say aloud, seriously, in today's culture. Despite sin, has God still blessed man and told man to be fruitful and to multiply and to rule over God's creation? Yes. Now, has sin, in a sense, distorted it a little bit in how we view one another and how we receive this blessing and how we look at sexuality? Absolutely. But it does not change the truth that we're still made in the image of God. We still have received the divine image and the divine blessing. And what we're going to see in, in the genealogy is man still bears the image of God and we still see the divine blessing of God that is passed on from generation to generation. And like when we come to genealogies, it's everybody's favorite part of the Bible. It's like we look at genealogies and we're like, oh my goodness, this is killing me. I can't pronounce half these names. What's the point of it? But here's one point that we constantly see when we read a genealogy. We see the blessing of God being passed on from generation to generation. Because what is genealogy? It's a list of people that are named through, mentioned through procreation. 
So in a sense, we see that God is faithful in continuing to bless man to procreate. That's one truth that is universal in all genealogies. But in this specific genealogy, we're going to see certain truths where we're going to be reminded of this genealogy is not, is not just any genealogy, but it's a special genealogy that in a sense is the lineage of the promised seed that's going to come from Eve and destroy man's enemy and to deliver man from, the, from their enemy and bring them back into the garden. So what I want us to do is as we read this genealogy, after we stop at every person minus Adam, because we know Adam is not the promised seed. But after every, gene- every person we read, I want us to ask this question. Is this the promised seed? Okay, because that's how this genealogy is supposed to be read. We read about a person, and we read that he has a son, and we read about how long he lives, and then the question we're going to ask ourselves is, and we're going to do it out loud, is this the promised seed? And then I'll give you the answer, okay? So I'm going to read, and then I'm going to give you your cue, and what, what are you supposed to say? Is this the promised seed? And then I'll try to answer it, okay? Are you guys ready for this? All right. You're, you're probably not, but that's fine. I'll, I'll cue you. Again, again we're not going to do Adam because we know, is Adam the promised seed? No. Okay, because did Adam come from Eve? No. The promised seed is going to come from who? Eve. Okay, very good. You guys are so smart. All right, let's, let's see. Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Adam lived 800 years after he fathered Seth, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Adam's life lasted 930 years, then he died. Seth was also 105 years old when he fathered Enosh. Seth lived 807 years after he fathered Enosh, and he fathered other sons and daughters. Here's your question. Is this the Verse 11 says... No, because Seth, so Seth's life lasted 912 years, and then he, then he died. Okay, let's see Enosh. Maybe he's the guy. Enosh was, nine, was 90 years old when he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived 815 years after he fathered Kenan, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Enosh's life lasted 905 years, and the question is? Nope. Then what happened? Then he died. Kenan was 70 years old when he fathered Mahalal. Kenan lived 840 years after he fathered Mahalal. And he fathered other sons and daughters. So Kenan's life lasted 910 years. What does the Bible say? No. He died. Oh my goodness. Mahalal was 65 years old when he fathered Jared. Mahalal lived 830 years after he fathered Jared, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Mahalal's life lasted 895 years. No! When are we going to get to the promised seed? Because he died. Jared was 162 years old when he fathered Enoch. Jared lived 800 years after he fathered Enoch, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Jared's life lasted 962 years. No. What's the bad news? He died. 
Let's stop there before we get to Enoch. Notice the formula. What's the formula? The name of the patriarch. The age of the patriarch when he uh, gave, when he fathered his firstborn son. The remaining years of his life. The acknowledgement that he had not just this son, but he had other sons and daughters. The total years of life that he lived. And the depressing phrase and the acknowledgement of his, his death. Now, there's not a whole lot of information about these individuals regarding their lives, regarding their accomplishments, regarding their defeats, yet they are in the Bible and they're mentioned in the Bible. And they played an important role in the Bible. You know what role they played in the Bible? You know why they're mentioned in the Bible? They had kids. Think about this. Like we live in a culture where we think we have to do the extraordinary to get our names written in the book of life or to get mentioned in the Bible. And yet, throughout the Bible, we read about people and you know what they did? They had kids. My point is, God uses ordinary means to do extraordinary things. The only reason they're mentioned is because they had kids. Anybody have kids? Your name, too, can be written in the Bible if you live during that time. Which kind of makes you feel maybe, maybe my life is not that hopeless. Maybe I'm special after all. You are special because you're an image bearer and you've received the blessing of God of having kids. And yet we see that the reason they're mentioned, because they're written in the Bible, and this was part of God's plan for this human family, and they're part of the lineage of producing this righteous offspring, this promised seed that would rise from them and defeat their, their enemy. And yet what we can see is that this blessing is not fully realized because what happens to all of them? They die. And this constant phrase, like, like normally when there's a phrase constantly repeated, it's really what it's all about. And you know what's the phrase that's constantly repeated? And then he died. And really what the phrase shows us, it proves the reality of God's warning. What did God tell Adam and Eve? That if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And now we see the outworking of God's punishment imposed for their sinful rebellion. Their lives end with death. And it seems like death has the last say in all of their lives. And Paul even tells us, um, quickly turn to Romans chapter 5. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 21. He says, So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through the righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The phrase I want us to focus in on is this. Sin reigned in, in death. In other words, how do we know that sin continues to reign? People die. It continues to reign because people die. And what do we see in everyone in this genealogy? They die. 
except one will get to him, okay? If the indicator that all of these people that have been infected by sin is the result that they all die, because that's what sin does. The only thing that sin produces is is death. And as long as death continues, sin is reigning. But look at what, what Paul tells us in Romans 5, verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered through the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people, because all sin, or in some of your translations says all, or have sinned. Like one of the things that we now begin to see a little bit in, 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 in Genesis is we see that Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how has their rebellion impacted their children and impacted the rest of the human race? And so we read in chapter 4, well, it kind of certainly impacted them, not a little bit, a lot, uh, because one son ended up killing another son. And then we see that everybody from their generation, from their offspring, ends up, dying and, and so so the question is like okay like like like, like how how is sin impacted and so and, and we look at the idea of sin especially in the 21st century in our western mindset uh, the world looks at people as morally neutral okay we're morally neutral and we either choose good or we choose evil and so you're morally neutral and it kind of you veer one depending on the choices that you make if you make good cho- choices you are Morally good. If you make bad choices, you are morally bad. But yet, the problem, what we see with all humanity is everyone ends up dying. And the Bible says the reason why everyone ends up dying is because sin reigns over them. And what we have to understand is even though our world looks at people this way, I don't necessarily think the Bible teaches that. I don't think the Bible teaches that we're morally neutral, that we're born innocent and pure, and it depends on what path we take that kind of determines our destination. And this is what, well, what theologians call the, the, the being born with a sinful nature. That we're all born with a sinful nature. This is why, uh, and I'll talk more about it next, uh, next week. This is why uh, David in Psalm 51 says, he says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. We see this idea of being born with a sinful nature even in the opening pages of the Bible. For, for example, like who taught Cain to be angry at his brother Abel? Like, do you think Adam and Eve taught, taught him how to be angry? Like, who taught Cain that when you take a rock and you smash your brother's head in, you will kill him and his life will end? Do you think Adam sat down with Cain and Abel and say, Son, this is how you kill a person. You take a rock and in your anger you just keep smashing their head until they breathe no longer. Like, like who taught him that? Who taught Cain to lie? We see that in chapter 4. If these patriarchs were, were born innocent, morally neutral, why do they all keep dying? Like, shouldn't we at least have like 10% making it? 
maybe 1%, you're like, well, yeah, Enoch, may, we'll, we'll get to him. Don't worry. But nobody is making it. If all these patriarchs were so innocent and so pure, look at, look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Why does it seem where it says, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time? How did sin spread so fast? Because it was taught? Because it was modeled? No. Because we were born with a sinful nature. We were born as rebels against God. And that nature is being passed on from generation to generation to generation. Understanding this truth, which a lot of people do not like that truth. But understanding that truth and seeing how it's taught in Scripture is going to start pointing us to the greatness of the promised seed. And I'm going to try to show you, but we need to move on here. So what do we learn about all the patriarchs? What happened to all of them? They all died, which means sin ruled over them. Sin had the last say, and none of them were the promised seed. They all experienced death. Now, some of you guys are really smart, Alex, and you know where I'm going to get to, and you're going to be like, well, technically there is one guy. Okay, let's get to him. Let's talk about him. You ready? Remember the question, is this the promised seed? Okay. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. And what's the question? Is this the promised seed? And the answer is no. Why? Enoch walked with God then he was not there because God took him. Uh, let's keep reading and then we'll talk about Enoch. Methuselah was 187 years old when he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived 782 years after he fathered Lamech and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Methuselah's life lasted 969 years. And the question is, is this the promised seed? Well, no, he died. Lamech was 182 years old when he fathered a son. He named him Noah, saying, This one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground the Lord had cursed. Lamech lived 595 years after he fathered Noah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Lamech's life lasted 777 years. And the question is, is this the... F no, he died. Verse 32, Noah was 500 years old and he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that genealogy is to be continued because the question we ask after, with Noah is, is this the promised seed? And we will say, we don't know yet. Come back next week. But let's talk about Enoch, okay? All right. In the first part of the genealogy, remember the formula? The name, age, when he fathered a son, other sons and daughters, how long he lived, and then he, he died. But then we come to this strange character named Enoch. And it veers off the, the thing because what is said about Enoch is not said about anybody else. It says Enoch walked with God. 
He walked with God. And, and, and what does it mean to walk with God? It's this metaphor that indicates that Enoch had this lifestyle that's characterized by his devotion to God. In a sense, he walked with God indicates he had communion with God. He was in close fellowship with God. And when you think about this idea of walking with God, and we've just read Genesis, what passage do you think about? When, when God walked in the garden, it's like back in the garden when Adam walked with God, but then Adam got kicked out, and now outside of the garden, we see a little bit of Enoch walking with God. In the refrain of Enoch, should have read, and then he died, we read that God took him away. And so the word took away can mean two things. It means he either died or he escaped death. And we're like, well, which one is it? Well, let's go to Hebrews because Hebrews 11 will kind of give us the answer. Again, one of the things we try to teach you here at our church is like when it comes to the interpretation of the Bible and you try to ask questions, what do you use? Not YouTube. The Bible. We always use the Bible to interpret the Bible, okay? YouTube is helpful for other stuff. But look at the Bible. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. So what's the answer to our question? Did Enoch die? No. God took him away, which means he escaped death. Now where Adam and Cain were removed from the presence of God, Enoch, in a sense, experienced that privilege And he escaped the sentence of death. Why? What's the point of Enoch's life? I think the first point it shows us in Enoch's life is it indicates to us that man was born not to die. Man was born to live in community with God and to live with God forever. And I think what we start to see is that in order to break the curse and to escape death, it's somehow tied with man walking with God. Because what does it tell us about Enoch? Enoch walked with God. So it seems like the way for this curse to be broken, the way for man to be back into the garden, into the presence of God, is to be walking with God. And so Enoch, he escapes death, which signals God's, confirms God's mercy and faithfulness to, to his promise of life and blessing. So in other words, like, like not only does it reveal to us the way that we escape curse is to walk with God, but then another thing it also reveals is how do we know that this genealogy is on the right track to deliver the promised seed? We look at the life of Enoch. So Enoch's life is almost like a little light bulb that goes off, like after so many deaths, because again, think about it. Uh, we, we went through six guys. They weren't it. It's kind of discouraging after like three, three tries. Anybody have tried something three times and you give up? Right? Like three times seems like the golden rule, like three strikes, you're out. Three tries, I, I'm just not doing it anymore. Three lives, no seed. Hope is starting to get lost. And now all of a sudden with the life of Enoch, it's almost like this light shining. Oh, there is hope. Oh, there is light in the midst of all this darkness. And so Enoch's life kind of shows that this lineage of Seth 
indicates that this lineage clearly is a godly lineage that's going to lead to the promised seed. And where Enoch is saved from the curse of sin, the question is, well, why was he saved? Because he was such a righteous man? Because he was such a good man? Like, what made him different? No, I think the author of Hebrews recognized that Enoch's godliness was rooted in a remarkable faith in God. Look, look at the rest of, of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. It says, He was not to be found because God took him away, for before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. So in other words, the reason was ta- why he was taken away, because he was pleasing God. So which leads to the next question. How did he please God? Look at verse 6. Now without faith, It's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. In other words, Enoch walked with God and pleased God because he displayed faith in God. More than likely, Enoch's life as he saw all the destruction and all the death surrounding him and he looks at the ground that's being cursed and we even see Lamech who utters like maybe my son Noah is going to provide us some rest and some comfort from the ground that the Lord has cursed. Maybe Enoch in his walk with the Lord is trusting the Lord. Lord, are you going to provide the promised seed? Lord, are you going to deliver us from the curse we found ourselves in? Because this life stinks. And he was so dependent on God, so much trusting in God, that God in His mercy took him away. And the question is, well, why, if God took him away, then that means probably he did not sin. And my answer would have been, if he did not sin, then certainly he should have been the promised seed, but he was not the promised seed. Why? God took him away. Which, if Enoch is not the promised seed almost makes us wonder who is this promised seed and how great this promised seed must be. And what really Enoch's life also shows us is that God's salvation has been consistent from the Old Testament all the way through New Testament because God's salvation has always been by His grace through faith in the provision of God. That's what Enoch trusted. Enoch trusted that God is going to provide. And we trust in... Christ, who is God's provision. Uh, let's move on from Enoch. Uh, look, at, look at Methuselah. Well, we all know he's the oldest man in the Bible, and we're like, oh man, he's the oldest. Well, certainly it shows us little righteousness. Methuselah, in a sense, walked with God. His lifespan was longer. And then we come to Lamech. And, and Lamech, he doesn't have the same formula. Look at what Lamech cries out in verse 28. He names his son Noah, and he says... He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. In other words, by by Lamech naming his son, what is he hoping for? He's hoping for deliverance. He is hoping, he's like, I am so tired of everybody dying. I'm hoping that Noah is the promised seed. That Noah will provide us comfort and rest and fix this curse we found ourselves in. And then we come to Noah. And is Noah the promised seed? We all know the story because we've all read it. The answer is no. But 
something happens different to Noah. Noah, in a sense, becomes like a new Adam because God destroys everything. And now there's only one genealogy, and it comes from Noah, but he has three sons. And which one would it be? Ham, Shem, or Japheth? Let's stop here. Okay. Let's do application here. What are three truths we can learn from this genealogy? I think the first truth, I have to make three points, okay? So it just every good pastor makes three points. Here's my first point. If you're taking notes, I think the first thing we see in this genealogy is we see God's sovereign grace. We see God's sovereign grace. Uh, and this is what I mean by, by his sovereign grace. And we start to see whispers of it in this text. Um, what makes this genealogy so special? They all died. Sin ruled over them. The reason what makes this genealogy so special is because God makes it so special. God chose these men to be part of this lineage, that we be part of the lineage of the promised seed. And what did these men do to be part of it? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, What part did you have in your lineage? Did you choose your parents? Did you choose your gender? Did you choose the era you were born in? Did you choose the family you were born in? No, God just assigned it to you. The same with these men. The reason they were part of this genealogy is not on basis of their own. But God sovereignly chose them and made them part of this genealogy. They were simply born into it. And what we're going to see is, and this is why I want to draw your attention to sovereign grace, is because 10 generations are from Seth to Noah, and then 10 generations are from Shem to Abraham, because all of a sudden we read about this character, Abraham, and we see that God just chooses him. And we're like, whoa, whoa, time out. Where did that come from? Did God just choose him? Yes, but that choosing began with Seth. Every body and and all the generations that led up from from, from Seth to Noah, from from Shem to Abraham, from Abraham to, to, to Jacob, to Judah, to David, all of these that God sovereignly handpicked to be part of this genealogy. And the only thing they contributed is they were born part of it. And so this is what we begin to see. We begin to see whispers of God picking a people for himself, choosing a a family for this promised seed to come from. And the entire book of Genesis is about this promised seed. And we're going to follow this family. And there's going to be times when you look at this family and you're thinking, oh, this genealogy is going to be distorted by sin because look at how evil these people are. And what does God do? God is faithful and God is sovereign and he controls everything and he preserves this promised line, this promised seed that is going to end up delivering them. And we begin to see God choosing people and it doesn't mean just because you're not part of this genealogy, God does not choose you or call you to himself because think about Abel. Abel was accepted by God. Did he make it? No. Um, Bible quiz, there is a man that God really loves, and he says, man, there is no man like him on the earth. Hey, Satan, have you considered him and his name is? Oh, man, you guys are so smart. And guess what? Is he part of this lineage? No. So now we see this lineage is not based on 
Righteous people. It's not like us doing uh, the, the NFL draft with fantasy football and we pick the best and best and that's the people we pick. No, that's not how God operates. He just chooses the people for himself and he works in the midst of the ordinary means to deliver the promised seed. That's one point. Second point is this. We, in this genealogy, not only do we learn about the sovereignty of God and we see whispers of it and we're going to see it play out more through Genesis, but the second one is this. Uh, we learn about the power of sin. We learn about the power of sin. In this, like I said, in this genealogy, there are 10 generations, Adam to Noah, and then in chapter 11, there's another 10 generations from Shem to Abraham. All these descendants, except one, had one thing in common. What happened? They all died. Sin continued to rule over them because they dead. We even see Lamech crying out, in hopes, who's going to deliver us? Maybe Noah will be the one. And really what we're seeing in this genealogy is the more generations that pass where the promised seed is not provided, the greater the reality and the power of sin. Like, like that's the truth that this genealogy teaches us, which means this problem of sin is so big that not any seed could deal with the problem of sin. Seth could not deal with it. Enoch could not deal with it. Noah could not deal with it. Abraham could not deal with it. Jacob could not deal with it. Judah could not deal with it. David could not deal with it. And the list goes on and on and on, which shows us like this power of sin is so big. Like I can just imagine um, Adam and Eve when they first received the promise that from their offspring God is going to produce a, a, a deliverer. And, I, and I'm sure that as Adam and Eve walked out of the garden with their heads down and yet with a little bit of hope they're probably saying I think God is going to be faithful. And I guarantee you after Eve had Cain and Abel what do you think she was thinking? Deliverance! Only to end with disappointment. And then Seth, what did she think? Deliverance. Certainly Seth will fix it. Disappointment. Certainly Enosh will fix it. Disappointment. Kenan would fix it. Disappointment. Mahalal will fix it. Disappointment. Jared will fix it. Disappointment. Enoch will fix it. Disappointment. Methuselah will fix it. Disappointment. Lamech will fix it. Disappointment. Noah will fix it. Disappointment. The more generations pass, the greater the power of sin. And maybe here's an illustration that will be helpful for you. Uh, hypothetically, I'm just making this up here. You're sick. You're not feeling good. You feel weak. You feel a little dizzy. A couple weeks go by. You go to the doctor. The doctor looks at you. He looks, checks out your vitals. He's like, I don't really know what's going on. Maybe you have a little bit of fluid in your ears that's causing the dizziness. Maybe uh, you have vertigo. Uh, so, so here's some medication, uh, and then come back and, and see me if, if things aren't resolved. And so you come, and you're like, oh, this is not big of a deal. Maybe vertigo. So what do you do? Take the medication. But now the medication is not working, and you're like, oh. A couple weeks go on. You still not feel good, so you go to the doctor again. And the doctor's like, eh, maybe it's something else. Here's some medication. Go home and take it. You go and take it. doesn't work. You come back and the doctor says, well, let's do a couple of tests. I don't think this is a big deal. Well, we certainly can explain this. Take a couple of tests. Ah, we don't see anything. Maybe take this medication. And you go and you take it. But you're still not feeling better. And you're actually starting to feel worse. And the more medication you go through, 
And the more tests you go through, what begins to happen in your mind? Okay, this is maybe a much bigger deal than what I thought. And the doctors now are, who are conducting more tests and who are prescribing more medication are starting to realize what? This problem might be bigger than what we anticipated. And that is what we see with sin. The more generations that are passing away, the more we start to realize that this enemy called sin that is ruling over us and destroying all of God's good creation is certainly more powerful than any one of us could ever anticipate, which will lead me now to my third final point, that if sin is so powerful that none of these great men could be the promised seed, the question is, who is this promised seed? And this genealogy teaches the third point, the greatness, if you're taking notes, the greatness of this promised seed the greatness of this promised seed. If none of these candidates were the promised seed, who could defeat our enemy? Who could overcome the power of sin? And we're thinking to ourselves, well, maybe Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and yet he was not it. How great must this promised seed be that even a man like Enoch who walked with God, that God in His mercy and grace would take him home so he would escape death. How great must this seed be? And we know that he is very great because even though he's from the lineage of Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Judah, David, his birth was a little bit out of the ordinary and extraordinary. He came from, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Why? So that he could not inherit the sinful nature. So that he could come from both God and man, which shows us this promised seed is no ordinary man, but he is fully God and fully man. He would be able to live a sinless life in a sinful world facing every temptation known to man and yet not sin. But he would also die a sinner's death. And through his life and his death, he would defeat our enemy and set us free from the bondages and the penalty of sin. He would satisfy God's wrath by paying the penalty that God demands because of sin. And he would release us from the bondages of sin by offering us forgiveness and removing sin's guilty stain and giving us life. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Neil, if Jesus died, how could he be the promised seed? And you all know the answer. How do we know he's the promised seed? Because death did not have the final say. Because he was resurrected from the dead. This is how great this promised seed had to be. Because the power of sin was so great. And for all those in Christ, what does he offer? Eternal life, resurrection life, which means... Sin no longer rules over us. Even though we will die, we know death will not be the final word because we all will be resurrected. 
We have died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. And we are raised with Christ. This is what Lamech was longing for when he cried out. This is what the entire people throughout the Bible longed for when they cried out. And this is what we get to experience and what we get to see when we cry out how much longer. We know that He has provided deliverance and we trust that He's coming back to make all things new. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You for Your incredible mercy and grace Lord, none of us could ever fathom the greatness and the power of sin and the hold and the destruction it would have over us. For certainly all we know is sin. We don't know anything else. And you, yet you, Lord, and your sovereign grace came and you promised a seed who will come and deliver us. And despite sin, continue to take hold of every part of creation, even the family that you have chosen. You remain faithful in keeping your promise. And you provided a deliverer, one that would be fully God and be fully man who would live a life we could not live and died a death we were all supposed to die, who would be one who could satisfy your wrath, pay the penalty for sins once and for all, and now could serve as a mediator, one who represents God and one who represents us, because Jesus, you are fully God and fully man. And this life is made available to us through faith. It's not something that we can accomplish. It's not something that we can achieve. It's something that you have freely given to us and we simply receive it by faith. And Lord, I pray, can you help us to receive this gift that you've given us of life, this promise that you've provided for us of eternal resurrected life. May we receive this by faith as we cling to your son, Jesus, as we cling to the provision that you have made for us through your son on the cross. And help us to never forget the greatness of this promised seed. As we continue to pray, um, have you received the greatness of this promised seed? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Were you thinking that you can deliver yourself? I just want to give you a moment to ask that question. And in faith to respond if you need to respond.